0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The recession in the West should have been hard times for the cosmetics industry. But in one of his last interviews before resigning on October 1st, former Revlon CEO Alan Ennis said that the business has not been particularly impacted. True, women put their children and family needs ahead of spending money on makeup and beauty products, yet at the same time, he noted, many consumers were still concerned about making sure their hair color was just right or finding the perfect shade of lipstick. What has happened in the industry, he added, is a certain amount of trading down as consumers go for cheaper brands. We're
1: meeting today with Alan Ennis, who's the president and CEO of Revlon. Thank you for joining us at Knowledge at Wharton.
0: Thank you, Steve. Glad to be here.
1: I wanted to ask you first about your leadership style. And there's two things that I think uh, maybe you could think about as you answer. One is the fact that you come out of the finance area. Mm -hmm. You've been in accounting and finance, and yet here you are, the head of a cosmetics company, creative, and all the rest of it. Uh, So that seems like a bit of an anomaly. Mm -hmm. And then also, I can't help noticing that you're a male (laughs) and was obviously very much a woman's product line. So, could you tell us about your leadership style, taking those two things into account?
0: Sure. uh, Happy to. So, a couple of things. So, first of all, just in terms of leadership style, putting aside my gender and putting aside the industry um, and putting aside my background. My leadership style is pretty straightforward, and that is probably uh, not typical of a CEO. And that is founded on a, a very basic principle, which is I'm comfortable being wrong. And so I have a leadership team uh, where I tell them regularly: "Listen, guys, I'm going to be wrong half the time, and if you can be right half the time, I'm wrong, then we'll be right 75% of the time. And making three out of four decisions, you know, correct in the you know in the corporate world today is a pretty good thing. So I think I endear my leadership team to be, to be opinionated, to be vocal, to challenge me." Um, which also benefits them because they feel like they're playing a role. So there's 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 a CEO and then there's the CEO leadership team uh, that leads Revlon. So, so you're, that's you're somewhat avoid, unique.
1: You avoid the bubble. You avoid the exactly. CEO I bubble. avoid people
0: leaning where they think I'm leaning, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and therefore we get better results. As it relates to the finance piece, uh, you know, a lot of businesses today, if not most businesses, certainly outside the uh, the charity world, uh, would be for profit organizations, and so it's all about making money, uh, ultimately, money in the form of shareholder wealth. In the form of free cash flow to reinvest in the business or to buy additional assets. And so it doesn't matter whether you're selling a lipstick you know, or a screwdriver. You know, It's how do you sell more of them uh, at a higher profit margin per unit. Um, and I think a big part of any business is the financial underpinning. And so finance is, uh, I think, a very good basis and a very good foundation for any general manager uh, of any business. Uh, I will say also that Revlon is majority owned by Ronald Perlman. And Ronald Perlman is at his heart um, a finance uh, finance guy. He's a, essentially a private equity organization. Uh, and so he likes to have strong finance people run, uh, run his companies. And so I'm not the first CFO turned CEO that's run Revlon. My predecessor, David Kennedy, was the CFO at Revlon before he became the CEO. And so you do see quite a lot of uh, finance guys running Ronald Perlman type companies. As it relates to being a male uh, in a female world, uh, certainly I am um, Conflicted because I'm not a consumer, uh, and I can I can be noticed debating different shades of pink. Uh, I was wondering about to, m- to my uh, <laughs> to my detriment. Uh, but but in reality, what I do is I submerge myself into the category. I can be uh, spotted daily walking around wearing different uh, types of nail enamel that uh, are supposed to exhibit different characteristics, whether they be fast dry or scented nail and in our product commercialization process, I actually try all the products. So I've uh, become very adept at putting on mascara and uh, an eyeliner. <laughs> and so uh, obviously I, I take it off uh, most of the time before I go home <laughs> on the train, but uh, you know, so I just have submerged myself into the, into the category and people I think respect um, and in many ways endear the fact that I am putting myself out there to be connected. Having said all of that, the person who runs our marketing organization is a woman. Uh, so the, the one who really calls the shots mm-hmm. in terms of products and shades um, and connecting with consumer, thankfully, is someone who is uh, not conflicted as she is a consumer in the space.
1: Okay, fair enough. Um, your company's been around for a long time, since mm-hmm. 1932. You've got a lot of long-standing customers, but at the same time, you need to attract younger consumers. How, how do you go about doing that? Where's your sweet spot for marketing?
0: Well, it's interesting. The color cosmetics category is very much based on innovation and bringing new news to the marketplace. And that's probably not dissimilar to most fast-moving consumer goods companies. It's about bringing news to the consumer, whether it's in laundry detergent or pampers or toothpaste or whatever it may be. How do you bring something to her that solves a problem that she has? So how do you bring a mascara that is both volumizing... um, and comes off easy but doesn't uh, doesn't stain in the rain? How do you bring a lipstick to her that's long wear but doesn't feel tacky at the same time? And so bringing innovation to the marketplace is a critical part of our success. And so what we do is we now have a three year rolling portfolio plan for all of our brands uh, where our product development team, research and development team, our chemists and scientists, uh, our packaging group all work together to bring either real product innovation as in new technology, new formula, a package innovation which is Uh, the same product in a different delivery system, or quite frankly a marketing innovation which is bringing an existing product but having a new claim or a new spin on that product um, that solves her need. And of course it's a very competitive space. Uh, Revlon competes directly with the likes of Maybelline, L'Oreal, which are both owned by the L'Oreal company, or CoverGirl, which competes, uh, sorry, which is part of uh, Procter & Gamble. Uh, And so, you know, there's a lot of big hitters in the marketplace, so bringing new, to her in a timely way that solves a problem that she either has or doesn't know she has, uh, but believes that she could have, um, and doing that with uh, the latest trends. So it's, it's a tough game, but we've got a great team. So your, your um, company, like everyone
1: else, has been through a very deep recession, the Great mm-hmm. Recession. There's a partial recovery now going on.
0: How did it affect your company and also the industry more widely? Well, it's interesting, if you look at, and I've done some research here, if you look at how a recession generally impacts uh, consumption behavior across a broad range of categories, what you'll find is, in most cases, 80% of households, the woman in the household is, is the decision maker with regards to um, household spending. Uh, and she has a certain level of trade-offs, what things she is least likely to forego in, in, in a situation where she's short of money and most likely to forego. So on the top of that list, things that she is least likely for to, to forego she will always spend on are things around her children, generally. So food, clothing, a roof over their head, uh, warm water, so she'll pay bills, um, pay her mortgage, buy food, etc.
1: So Maslow's hierarchy of needs for American women or global women.
0: Yep, and so that is is, uh, top of the list. At Mm -hmm. the bottom of the list are things that you'd argue would be more discretionary, a new new TV, a new sofa, um, changing the car for a newer car, uh, whether they be big big or small purchases, things that, that don't need to be changed on a regular basis. Interestingly, her health and beauty regime is quite high on the list. So, you know, a woman can tell you, yes, I'm cutting back discretionary spending. But if a woman who's has gray hair has her hair treated or, or colored every six weeks, you know, she may stretch that to seven weeks or maybe eight weeks, but she's not going to leave the house and go out in, a, in a, either in a professional setting or, or in a, a domestic setting, you know, with, with gray roots. Similarly, she's not going to go out without putting on her, you know, her concealer or, you know, her, uh, her foundation. She just doesn't do those things or her moisturizer. And so in reality, what's happened over the course of the recession is that the beauty category, broadly speaking, it's really not been hugely impacted. Uh, where you do see some activity is what we call the concept of trading down, where a consumer who is a department store consumer may say, you know, I'm not going to buy, you know, the Clinique or Lancome uh, lipstick, I'm going to go to a drugstore, I'm going to buy the Revlon or the Almay lipstick. So you do see some of that, um, but in reality, uh, you know, there is what they call the lipstick index, which is, you know, recession, or boom, you know, she's gonna spend money on beauty. And so you do see that the color cosmetics category actually grew, albeit low single digit, through the entire last five year period. And we've fared, you know, we've fared reasonably well. When it comes to
1: marketing though, mm-hmm. how, how is it that you approach it to, um, to support those trends that are already out there so you've got you've got the you know different ages also
0: right so in terms of marketing and one of the things that um, I know that you want to talk about is around media and social media and and how do you interact um, using all of the the space that's out there Uh, in reality what's really important with marketing is to have a message a communication that means something to her in this day and age, that becomes much more difficult because it used to be you'd run a TV commercial or you'd put a, a print ad in a magazine and you would control the agenda. Uh, now with, with the onslaught of, of social media, uh, it's instantaneous. Your messages is, is um, in the blogosphere, is uh, communicated broadly instantaneously. And people have opinions about your product, which are also broadcast uh, instantaneously. So you don't control the dialogue anymore. But what's really important is to have a message that she can relate to. So there's a, there's a consumer need uh, in the marketplace that we directly address that consumer need uh, with a specific message, a claim that we make, uh, a shade that she wants, that's on trend, um, and that we communicate that to her in in a way and at a time that she's open to receiving that message, right? Um, so. You know, people are inundated with, with information today, even standing in an elevator. You know, they now have the, uh, the TV screen in the elevator. There's no silence. You know, uh, there's no, no. peace. You know. Pumping, most, most pumping aer- gas in the cab. It's, Everywhere. Uh, airplanes now, you know, they think they're satisfying the consumer need. Most airplanes now have a facility where you can have Wi-Fi access for the entire duration of, of your journey, which uh, was one of the things I used to enjoy, actually, was downtime uh, on an airplane. Um, it's difficult. But if you have the right uh, marketing organization, you can reach her at the right time with the right message.
1: And compared to the past, how important, or how do you characterize the importance of social media?
0: Well, it's hugely important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, social media as we know it today is a blip in a continuum of communication. And you know, not, not professing to know what the future would be, but if we look back 10 years from now at what we're doing today, it'll look archaic. Um, and so, you know, Facebook, for example, it used to be a year ago, 18 months ago, how many Facebook fans you had. right? I've got 800,000 likes versus CoverGirl's X hundred thousand likes, and therefore we're better. Well, that's shifted away from simply Facebook fans to what they call, how many of those Facebook fans are actually interacting with your brand? So they call it consumer engagement. So how many of those fans are actually clicking like that they like a picture, or writing a comment, or downloading a coupon, for example, from your Facebook page? And so metrics have become very important uh, in the overall measurement of um, of how effective social media is. Uh, you know, and of course the the, uh, the types of tools out there keep evolving. So Facebook, you know, Twitter, uh, you know, Tumblr, Instagram, uh, Pinterest, whatever it may be, staying current with how you communicate with uh, the consumers critically important. So we've got a we've got a dedicated digital team, uh, work with a bunch of external agencies to make sure that we're delivering the right message at the right time through the right uh, medium.
1: So you've got consumers and then you have bloggers, which is mm-hmm. uh, another, <laughs> drilling down another category, which, can, which I, I, I'm sure takes a whole different approach. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of them out there blogging about cosmetics. What's your strategy? How do you, how do you work with them?
0: Or so two things. Communicate so we, with them. Yeah. So so we look at, at beauty editors and bloggers as one group of communicators. Beauty editors would be the edit- editorial uh, staff within the major magazines, um, and then bloggers would be just the online uh, group. Our objective is to make sure that they have whatever information they need about our products. So we have what we call. Um, desk-side meetings with them, where we will invite them into our offices, uh, either the, the uh, both together, the, the magazine and the online, sit down with them, take them through our product offering, we'll give them some samples that they can use, explain the benefits of a product, um, and then let them do their thing. Ultimately, the, the benefit of a blogger to a consumer is independence, right? Uh, it's one thing for Revlon to put a, a TV commercial with Halle Berry or Emma Stone to say, how wonderful a product is, but the consumer uh, respects, to a much greater degree, an independent voice of someone who is a consumer like them, you know, a 25, 28-year-old woman who's tried a whole bunch of different lipsticks and she's doing either a video blog or a written blog, telling the consumer group her view on the products. And so maintaining that level of independence with the bloggers is important. But of course you have to facilitate the the dialogue uh, if they have questions, if they have needs, if they have concerns, if they've tried a product and they don't like it you know, ask why, are they using it the wrong way, is there something about the delivery that they're um, confused about.
1: So it becomes a bit of a focus group for you as well. Yes, yeah. exactly.
0: Yep. Um, and one last thing, what
1: challenge or challenges keep you up at night as a leader?
0: Um, well, I have three young children and they keep me up <laughs> regularly at night. Uh, so generally I sleep pretty well when they don't wake me um, <laughs> You know, I'm a pretty calm individual. I don't get overly animated uh, by business issues uh, because getting animated in any way, anxiety, stress isn't really helpful. So I, I try and manage that. Right, but just uh, but in I think in reality, in, in in the business world, you know, the the, the strength of competition uh, is a big factor. Um, you know, when you're up against an 80 billion dollar company like PG, or a 20 billion dollar company like L'Oreal, and we're a 1.5 billion dollar company, they've got a big stick. Uh, and so trying to stay one step ahead of them, trying to respond to the market as quickly as we can, um, and dealing with marketplace dynamics, because it changes very quickly, uh, is probably what causes me the most, uh, the most sleepless nights, if there are any. Okay. Well, thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure, Steve. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.